Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the RouterFlex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. And on today's episode of the Radiflex podcast, we have guest George Randall, along with being the head of global talent acquisition at cybersecurity company Forcepoint. He's also an experienced coach and mentor, hands-on leader known for selecting, building, reorganizing, and motivating teams to reach their full potential. I had a great conversation with George on topics ranging from career advice, job interviews, resumes, and the recruiting industry. All right. George Randall on the Rider Flex podcast. How you doing, George? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. All right. You're in, you're in Austin, Texas today? I am, and you'd think it'd be nice and sunny, but it's uh, cold and overcast and just so unlike Texas at the moment. Now, what is, what is defined cold? Because when people in Austin say it's cold, it's not... Yeah, what is it? uh, I think it's, let me see, let me just check it out here. It might be chilly, yeah, chilly 47 degrees, I'm telling you. It's wow. parka weather for Texas. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I, I lived in Austin for about four or five years, so uh, great town. That's where I met my wife, actually. Uh, I, I, I love it. I married myself a Dallas girl, met my wife here in Austin, and uh, was my... Uh, it was the coolest city, and I, my last duty station was Fort Hood, Texas. And I'm not from Texas, but as they say, I got here as soon as I could. Um, <laughs> I just fell in love with the place. So you were stationed in Killeen, Texas for a long time? Yeah, I lived on the Copper's Cove side, which at the time was nicer than average, but it, <laughs> the trick. Uh, I've been to Colleen many times, matter of fact, up and down that highway there. Yeah, for sure. You didn't happen to meet your wife on the on the dance floor two-stepping in Texas down in Austin. No, interestingly enough, a snowstorm in the Midwest rerouted us both to the St. Louis airport, and we uh, met on an American Airlines flight. Oh, okay. All right, great. How long have you been married? Uh, 16, 16 years. 16 years, okay. All right, very good. So where did you grow up when you were a kid? So glad you asked me that question because as I'm slightly, barely over the 50 mark, I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. So the past week has been <laughs> a celebration week. I've been waiting my entire life to to see the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. But grew up in Kansas City school uh, at the time, small state school in Missouri, uh, Southwest Missouri State, now Missouri State. Great. Okay. All right. Is your folks still there? They are. They are. And uh, two of my brothers are still there. Another one's up in Dallas. But uh, yeah, I go there every once in a while. Love the barbecue. Compare it against Texas barbecue. <laughs> it holds uh, its own. Okay. And did you uh, sign up for the Army like uh, right after high school or your senior year? Or walk, walk us through that. Yeah, I did. Um, you know, the oldest of four boys. My dad drove a truck. My mom's a social worker. Okay. Um, so I was going to end up paying for my own education. So I enlisted in the army reserves, um, and did that to help put my way through college. But it, at some point they said, you know, uh, you know, Randall, if you think you're so smart, why don't you go be one of them, their officers. So, you know, I kind of shrugged my shoulders and said, how hard could it be? Uh, and then went out to be an officer. Um, you, you, you make brilliant statements like that when you're young. <laughs> Wow. And so how long did that take, by the way, to, to become an officer? Was that? How uh, yeah, um, I stayed enlisted uh, through most of college and it was only about the last three semesters that I really dove into it. Okay. Um, and then went through the ROTC commissioning program. And because I wasn't a scholarship student, I had to perform really, really well, you know, leadership wise to have a shot at active duty back in the time when I was commissioned. And you know, knock on wood, I did well enough to get an active duty commission. So soon after college, I was off. Gotcha. Now, did any of your other brothers or your dad, anybody else in the military at all? Uh, my dad was in the Air Force for quite a while, um, but he was a baseball player. He was one of those guys, you know, that could play a sport. So he's on the post team that travels around the world. And 
He did all the best to tell me it was a difficult life, but now that I've been in the service, and I know how his teams goes, I, you know, kind of that same story that I walked uphill to school, you know, two miles uphill both ways. That's the real story. That's great. Wow, I didn't know. So the Air Force has like a baseball team that travels around. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, I, that was back uh, Korea, pre-Vietnam era, you know, for my dad. So um, okay. He traveled around the world playing pro baseball. Then he got out and played with the Dodgers Farm Club for a while. And How about that? So were all the boys athletes too, you guys in high school? Uh, myself and my youngest brother. The two middle brothers are twins. Uh, they played sports, uh, played football predominantly, both picked up injuries, and then have just kind of played recreational since then. Yeah. Okay, okay. I still play. Do you? Oh, I am a – nuts of soccer fan and and have been since I found the sport so I'm still playing in uh uh over 40 premier and uh over 50 premier here in Austin Texas wow okay I don't know how you're doing that I'm 52 and I uh I have pains every day somewhere <laughs> so I don't know how you're doing that man yeah you're it's <laughs> my you know knock on wood my knees my knees have held up um, but I, I, I've had my share of knocks. You kind of change how you play, you know, I don't mm -hmm. do any headers and, uh, and then when you're in, you know, that age group, we all know we got to go back to work. It's, it's very, very competitive, you know, really good skills, but you know, you don't see as many slide tackles. You don't see it as real, the, uh, testosterone fueled competition as you do in the over 30 bracket. Gotcha. 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 And is there, there's beer, is there beer drinking like right after the game on the sidelines? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's been known to be a, a few around. Uh, um, That's good. We call it rehydration, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. Did you know you were going to stay in for 20 years, by the way, when you first signed up? Did you, were you going to be a career guy or you worked into that? Well, I, I thought I was. What's interesting is I've got 20 years total, but they're not all active. Okay. Um, so mine's a combination of, of reserve time and active duty time. I, I thought I was going to stay 20 years. I really, really loved it. Um, but I love the field work. I love the deployments. Um, but in, in my particular case as an officer, you know, I had the good fortune of hitting the leadership jobs, the leadership wickets that you must have very early. And that's fate. Um, and so I hit all of those and then ended up two years as a company commander in the Army. Mm. So when I had to relinquish command. You can only have one for two years before you have to switch. I had four or five year gap to be looked at for promotion. And all of the assignments were going to make me a PowerPoint ranger and, and a staff officer. And that just really wasn't, it wasn't appealing after, you know, seven, eight years of deployments and being in the field. It just... I, I want see. something different. Now, so you were in a leadership role early on and mm -hmm. throughout your whole career. Okay, tra transition us into, you, you get out of the service when you were coming up. Uh, did you know that you wanted to be in recruiting and talent and talent acquisition? Did you have, <laughs> did you have any idea that's what you were going to do after the service? Uh, no, I didn't. But about 10 years into that, so I'll give you the quick how that yeah. worked. Is yeah. Go ahead. When I got out, I went through those one of those veteran recruiting firms, and they placed me with what's known as a big box retailer. And I did well for a year and a half, but I had these, you know, ideas and images of vaulting up the ranks and doing a bunch of things. But, you know, that company wasn't a fit, even though I was doing well. Okay. So a veteran recruiting firm took a uh, chance on me because I thought, you know what, I could probably do a better job taking care of veterans and helping them transition. I did that for three years, but the company that I was with, you know, um, you know, was struggling with the dot-com boom because you're not getting technical resources out of the military. So I jumped to what was then called KPMG Consulting. Uh, it was the uh, public sector arm and was a consultant for about a year, but I had a family incident. Uh, that job took me to Washington, D.C., and I had a family incident caused me to come back to Texas, and there wasn't any work within the company, so they said, well, what else can you do? And they talked about what they call resource management, which is internal recruiting. And they said, recruiting. I said, well, I can do that. So they said, well, do it for 90 days. If our clients like you, our internal clients, then you can live wherever you want. Oh. And okay. making two steps backwards from being a consulting manager, working with external federal clients, and then coming into infrastructure, 
uh, I loved it. It, it was literally, I, I'm glad I took the risk. Uh, I'm glad I was presented with the opportunity. So I, I immediately was jumping into talent and okay. it just thrilled me and it, everything took off from there. Were you always curious about people? Did you have that kind of just nature about you where you're like, I want to figure out what's going on with this guy? Like, well, you know, kind of, was that your nature? I, I did. And, and I don't think I recognized it early on. But once I got into resource management, got into recruiting, and I was looking back over my time in the military, one of the things is, is that you don't get to pick your team mm. in the military. So mm. doing the best with what you have with the talent in front of you leading it, growing it, coaching, mentoring, training, all of those things, I realized that everything that we did in the military was about a team and it was about the talent. It was about the potential of that. Yeah. And so then that brief period where I was a, 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 you know, manager on the consulting side, you know, I get to pick my talent and I, I really enjoyed the interviewing process. I enjoyed sorting through and the human dynamic, the psychology of it. So as soon as I stepped into resource management, which just literally in a year and a half spiraled from resource manager to head resource manager to recruiter, to having external and internal recruiters to having human resources, it just literally took off from there because I just loved what I did. I, I can almost just assume, I got, I'm going to assume that you can read a person pretty, pretty quick. <laughs> Uh, I can. Yeah, there's a there's an awful lot of muscle memory and a few of the jobs that I've had. Um, I think it gets more difficult when you get to senior level talent. I think the junior level talent you get, but when you get into the senior level where people have interviewed over the course of their lives number you know numerous times. Great point. Um, it, it's it's not so much the interviewing skills; it's making sure that you get the right match. Meaning mm -hmm. there are a lot of good people for a lot of bad jobs. There's. You know, <laughs> And maybe that wasn't the right wording for her, but you know, you could be the right person at the wrong time or for mm -hmm. the wrong job. And, and that's, you know, where you get executives or senior leaders that don't work out well. It may not be because of the fit or not, may not be because of the skills of the person, but rather the role that you put them into, you didn't do the matching correctly. Mm -hmm. um, that they're not in the right environment to take full advantage of, you know, their top five, seven, eight, nine, ten skills. I, I couldn't agree more. As a recruiter, I, I would even go as far as to say most of the time when a, when a C-level executive doesn't make it, or even let's call it a VP-level person doesn't make it, it, it's usually not because they don't have the skill set. It's usually, yeah. there's usually, there's usually a personality conflict or Mm -hmm. Somebody, somebody doesn't like somebody else or the cultures don't match or something. I mean, rarely have I seen it where, Oh, that CEO was fired because he didn't have the skills to do it. No, no, he had the skills. He just, you know, Johnny exactly. and, and, and yeah, yeah, I mean, seriously. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. So, okay. So then you had, you, you had a great career and you worked for several different big time companies and kind of continue to move your way up and yeah. move through, move through your career. Um, Tell us how you kind of take us fast forward and tell us how you uh, got to be part of EF Overwatch, which I think you're a strategic advisor in. I am. And, and then your full-time job at Forcepoint. Kind of walk us into how you got to both of those places. Yeah, so it, it kind of begins a, a little bit before that, which is really the job that kind of launched my career. And it was okay. taking a, a leap of faith is um, – I was interviewed to come over and work for Hewlett Packard Enterprise Services. And for the older crowd that would be listening, um, Enterprise Services was the old EDS that HP had purchased. So it was really the consulting side, the non-product side. Okay. And they said, hey, do you know consulting? Do you know talent? I'm, and, and they said, well, we need somebody who's got the rough and tumble world of consulting. And so I took over the Americas in Canada. And I had a team that I took from 33 to 103 in one year. And they said, wow, if you can do that, do you understand the federal space? And I said, well, I grew up, so they gave me 22 more. And they said, well, why don't you take Latin America too? And I said, well, fine. It's just, you know, more problems or more challenges. <laughs> it was interesting. So I did that for about a year and a half, two years. But I remember being into so many cross-border situations, So meaning every opportunity that was presented to me to work across borders, work across regions, um, you're dealing with new talent levels, new culture, you know, yes. roles. Yes. 
currencies, compensation plans, compliance. I mean, the, the level of complexity once you cross the border is phenomenal. So it was, it was just a matter of being a sponge and being able to execute good, on good leadership principles. But um, HP came to me and said, you know, I had floated this idea that, you know, there's no one joke for this particular business, meaning all of our leaders have to go to separate regional leaders. I said, why is it there one person in charge of talent? And you know, it's a case of one of those, be careful what you wish for moments. <laughs> so about Congrats. six months later, yeah. they said, yeah. hey, we wanna do your idea. And I said, well, great. I think they're gonna start it with HP printers or something smaller, not a 125,000 person organization. They said, <laughs> you know, basically, would you be willing to, to do this and try it out. I'm like, okay, 125,000 people. And so I did, and so I started building a global team, which is kind yeah. of launched me into, you know, I'm in that role. I'm not the head of talent acquisition, but I have a team of anywhere from 280 to 330 and I'm hiring an average of over 20,000 people a year. And so in that particular role, that exposes me to, you know, longer compensation planning cycles, uh, labor mix cycles, meaning if you're going to do a project, but you have people in different regions, mm -hmm. course planning, it really gave me the opportunity to take recruiting and put it on steroids. And, and uh, so from there, it was just into that, you know, the head of TA jobs, this job, um, there was a CHRO and some people from Hewlett Packard that had been, see uh, running the current company and they were having problems getting to scale and so somebody had floated my name and I went through the interview process and picked up here and, um, you, and you've been at Force Point for almost two years uh, about 18 19 months yeah it was a complete rebuild reorg um, I think I started out with um, I don't know, 19 functional people. And I built a team to about 46, 1,100 hires a year across the globe. Um, but right as I came in, um, I ran into Mike Sorelli. And so those people who follow Jocko and Leif and Extreme Ownership and, and the books, Dichotomy of Leadership as well, Mike Sorelli was in those books. Um, and I heard him on a, a podcast and I said, hey, we need to have breakfast. Was he on the Was he on the uh, the uh, Joe Rogan podcast? Is that Was he on there? Was he one of the guests? I don't know. He he's done so many of them. It's hard. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's hard to keep up with Mike. But um, I said, hey, let's have breakfast because one of the things I did at HP was build a veterans program from scratch, and we ended up hiring about two thousand people per year veterans. Um, right. Put it on the map. Went from not on the top one hundred list to number eighteen first year, which was pretty cool. Wow. Great. Um, awesome but I ran job. into Mike and I said, hey, we have these combined interests. And, and I don't know what it was. There, there was an Army guy and a Navy SEAL. I don't know how we had a shared kinship, but um, <laughs> those, two, those, two, th those two usually don't get along. Is that is that usually no. not a good? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's usually, you know, there's that, that beating of the chest, those, you know, I like gotcha. her kind of stuff. But no, but I ran into Mike and we really had a kind of a shared mindset about talent and about veterans. And he said, hey, I'm starting up this firm. Mm. Would you like to advise us on how to do it? And given my background with all facets of recruiting to include agency, contract, you know, contract for hire, perm, mm -hmm. uh, managed services, and executive hiring, he's like, it was, it was just really turned out to be a match made in heaven. Then it turns out we were we were fast friends immediately to the point he asked me to officiate his wedding. Now there's a new record. Officiate. I don't, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, it means I marry him and his bride to be. He got me ordained on short notice. He oh, said, oh, oh, well, I, I thought you, I thought you were like, we're saying organize it or project manage. No, no, no. We, wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. The relationship. I mean, we started building this company. We started doing you know, new great things together. And then all of a sudden he's just like, Hey, I need you to do me one more favor. <laughs> I'm like, what, walk you down the aisle? And he's like, no, I need you to officiate the wedding. I'm like, okay, this is a new one. And and that was one of the first lines of the wedding was an army guy marrying a Navy SEAL. So I think we broke the ground there too. Now, is that the only wedding you've ever done? I'm just curious. Now, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you, so if you can imagine an army guy surrounded by all these combat veteran SEAL, so, 
whatever monologue I come up with, it is probably the most pressure-filled <laughs> pressure executive speech I've ever made. So, and that's, that's kind of how we got together and have been running it since. That's pretty good. That's great. Okay, very good. Well, outstanding career. I mean, really, congratulations on, every, on everything you have done. I mean, really impressive. So just real quick, Force Point, can you give us, yes. I don't know, two-minute overview for people that don't know what it is? I mean, I... I mean, they can go to forcepoint.com, I think, right, is the website. But just yeah. give your quick, your quick two-minute overview. Uh, it's on the cutting edge of human-centric cybersecurity. So basically, stop the bad, free the good. Okay. Um, global company. Um, we are owned by Raytheon. Um, I see. Completely separate company, but the leaders in the cybersecurity space um, moving to uh, cloud-based platforms, but it's just uh, an amazingly group of smart people that are getting together to kind of solve, you know, the most current and ongoing, you know, cyber challenges in the world right now. You know, when I saw, you know, where you were working and I did a little homework, I, I'm just, we could do a whole podcast on security and all that yeah. stuff, right? Um, but uh, just real quick, let me ask you a couple of questions. Yeah. Did you have did you have somebody like infiltrate my system here just to make sure RiderFlex was legit before you got on the conference call? No, I'm going to see. <laughs> I wanted to see how this went first, and then you. Know, <laughs> uh, I asked another cybersecurity guy one time. I said, "Do I need to like put a little cover over my camera?" Like, is that, I've seen that in the movies where people yeah, like. Yeah, they recommend it. They recommend it. But most, most corporate systems cover that. But. Um, okay. Every little thing you do matters. Is that, okay. Everything you do. How often should you change passwords? I mean, can you, what, what well, do they tell you guys the, to do? Those IT guys, you know, they, they're, they're now not simple passwords, but I, I change mine every 30 days. Okay. Uh, All right. I just, when I, when I a series of them and I go through them and, you know, I'm getting older. So, you know, the memory, I got to look <laughs> to a few things. When I asked a guy if I should cover my camera one time, he said, well, he goes, yeah, maybe he goes, but here's the deal. Nobody cares about you. Nobody's going to be, he's like, if he's like, do you work for the government? Are you like a super important person? He's like, cause if you're not, you, I don't think you have anything to worry about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's, yeah. I get that, but just frankly, in HR, you know, my conversations, all of the things, you, you never know what somebody else is interested in. Well, and, that's true. And wanting to dig into for whatever reason. And, that's you know, true. that's how I think our company's kind of changing the world. It's, it, it's taking a more human-centric approach, a behavioral approach to how we approach security, you know, driven by, you know, what people do every day and, and figuring out how we turn those behaviors into something predictable and risk scale and then be able to prevent and look at risk well ahead of time. Now, are your customers all the Fortune 500 type stuff or do you serve a small business as well? Small to large and including federal, federal, state and local governments, yes. Okay, okay, great, awesome. Well, now I want to get into some of the some of the stuff I've just been dying to ask you because you've, yeah. you've looked at just a few resumes. <laughs> A few, a few. <laughs> you've interviewed, you've interviewed just a couple of people. So I thought I'd yeah. ask you some, some questions here. I've been dying to ask you these and we're in the same line of work. So I'm curious as to what your answers are compared to my own. Yeah. So, so resumes, let's go with that one first. Just how about a couple of, you know, a couple of the biggest mistakes you see on resumes and, and, and maybe just general advice on resumes real quick for the listeners. Uh, I think the first thing for me is, you know, recruiters see that so much. I, I don't need a resume full of what you were responsible for. I want to see a resume that demonstrates performance, exceptional performance, ideally, with what you were given. Ooh, that's good. So meaning that, that if, you know, when people talk about when they list out a job description, they're, they fill the pages full of the job description. Like I managed X. Well, did you manage it into the ground or did you grow it 25%? Are you leaving it to me to guess? I mean, you know, and, and so for me, it's, I want to see things that, that demonstrate that you move the needle forward in whatever field or position that you, you held. Gotcha. That's a good one. Okay. Okay. Good, good, good. And then uh, how about, 
How about common mistakes? I think you, you mentioned something about, I heard you say on a previous podcast, something about objective statements. Don't do uh, that. Yeah. yeah. yeah I'm, so I know that, you know, recruiting professionals all have different opinions, but because you're, you're having to fire away resumes, meaning as you well know, in the electronic age, you post a job, you can have a hundred applicants in very yeah. short time. So yep. you have to post right away, which means you can't recraft your resume. So I tell people, an objective statement basically becomes an objection statement if it doesn't fit the job to which you applied. Bingo. So take it off. Um, I, I don't need you, I kind of make the quantum leap that if you applied to the job, you happen to be interested in that career field. Um, that's just kind of my starting position. So please don't tell me that that's what you always dream to be. Just that, you know, that's the role. That's a good one. How about formatting, especially for like marketing candidates who try to get super creative and fancy and colors and all this stuff? <laughs> the only thing, the only formatting thing that I tell people is don't make somebody of my age have to put on their spectacles because you've crammed so much into a page. Ooh, that's good. Um, most people are getting multiple pages because they're moving margins. Ideally, I, I want a resume that's two pages, but the first one needs to stand on its own and it needs to give me the gist of what I need to make a decision to call you, move you forward in the process or share your resume against another role in our company. Very good. Love it. Okay. How about LinkedIn profiles? Do you have any pet peeve? Do you have any, <laughs> yeah. by the way, by the way, right, you know, on our podcast at RiderFlex, I have done so many episodes on LinkedIn in general, but I, you know, I want to get, okay, go ahead. LinkedIn pet peeves from, from George. Um, LinkedIn pet peeves. <laughs> uh, humility. Please exercise some humility. I mean, it's great to do it like a resume. Like if you have a job description, you've achieved a few awards, by all means, put them on there because many times that gets downloaded as your resume. So we don't have to ask you for one. We may take that profile, download it and share it with a hiring manager. Don't put all the fluff in there of like super coach, super mentor, super engineer, and all the little symbols in your signature block. I wanna know your name, where you're located and your jobs. The rest of the stuff is immaterial to my search. How about this? Um, if you played division one, sports in college do you think that should be on their resume somewhere like let's say you yeah. played you were you were a four-year lacrosse starter at cornell or something would you um i i would probably say from entry to mid-level career when you're an executive i think it's you know that's a little bit pointless okay. um but yeah i would include it especially for i mean if you're looking at sales or you're looking at things where competition becomes a factor in that role, meaning you're competing in the market, you're competing against competitors, you're taking market share, you're trying to drive into a new market. Because if you're a division one athlete, we can extrapolate that there's a competitiveness to you, that there's a drive, that there might be some signs of resiliency, um, and that you've probably won and lost and still got up and kept playing. So I, personally, I tend to like those things. But if you're an engineer, no, uh, being a division one lacrosse star as a, as a, you know, systems engineer, it's not going to make a difference to you. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I tend to agree, by the way. Um, if you played division one sports, I'd probably put it on there depending on the position. I agree. Let yeah. me ask you that, a couple more things on LinkedIn and I don't want to spend a, I don't yeah. do a whole, we could do a whole podcast on LinkedIn. Yeah, I could. One of the things that drives me nuts is, is the picture, the photo, like, you know, blurry photos or photos that are like, 30 years old or you know photos i got you got your dog in the photo i mean i could just go on and on what, are, what are, what's your opinion um it, you know how people say dress for the job you want i know that that's not as relevant today but your picture is you know it's making an impression just like the content that you put in there so your picture, if you're going to be a professional and you're looking to drive your career forward or you're open to the next challenge, your picture should be like your professional headshot in the directory of any company. Okay, there you go. Thick and simple. There you go. There you go. That's a great way to put it right there. Okay, very good. Okay, and then just a couple more things. Would you, you know how you can add in like uh, uh, links to videos and 
and picks and you can just put all kinds of stuff on there. Does that make a difference to you or you don't care about that? Um, I think it, it, in some cases it's relevant. Meaning if, you, if you're in marketing, sure, you should be attaching portfolios or ad campaigns. Or if you're going into Good. Um, engineering and you've written a paper on, on some new breakthrough or problem solving, then absolutely. But remember, those better be award-winning things because and <laughs> you're creating, you're giving everybody, everything you put on there is evidence for people to prejudge you and you cannot control that judgment for better or for worse. What you want to do is present, just like you would in an interview, your best self forward. If you're going to send a resume, put a picture, put portfolios or examples of your work on there, they have to be a standalone thing. Very good. Very good. Now, what about these, you know, I get this sometimes people will say, because I have a habit of bypassing a LinkedIn profile that doesn't have a photo. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe that's just a Steve thing. I don't know. But a lot of times I will. Um, and then I'll talk to people and they'll say, well, I didn't want to put my photo on there because, you know, I'm, I'm 58 and I don't want to be, I don't want to be discriminated against because of my age or I don't want them to bypass my, my, my profile. So I don't put my picture on there because I'm an older candidate. Uh, what are your what are your what are your recommendations to the person saying that? So first of all, I I understand it. I I certainly understand those things because the people's insecurities they want to be judged by their talent and not by something else. So I get the rationale behind it. Mm -hmm. Alternatively, my recruiting teams that I build are looking for talent, and that comes in different shapes, sizes, ethnicities. Every different character, I mean, visual characteristics are, are not anything as a determiner for your talent and your potential. So even if you have, we just want to know that you, there's a professional on the other side of this profile. That's basically it. There you and go. If you have a professional photo, hey, we're good to go because your photo on a professional recruiting team is not going to get you ruled in or out. There, there is a war for talent going on. And good recruiters are looking for the meat, the substance in that profile. That, that picture is not going to do it. And if somebody rules you out for that, I promise you, you didn't want to interview with that company anyway. Just took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to summarize it with, that's what I tell them. Uh, they'll yeah. ask me about it and I'll say, hey, look. I'll say, in fact, I think actually if you're worried about that happening, then putting your picture on there actually saves you time because, hey. that's, not, because that's not who you want to work for anyway. Absolutely. And you've been, you've been in recruiting just like I have a long time and, and you, you teach your junior recruiters that, or they actually learn very, very quickly. Never, ever judge a book by its cover ever. Yeah. You, you do that. You're going to be wrong 95% of the time. You know, you gauge the talent, you assess the talent, you interview that talent. Yeah. Uh, it will come through. Yep. I totally agree. One other th thought on the picture thing, we could, we yeah. could go down that a long time. What, the one other thing I think that, as a candidate, you don't want, you also don't want to act like you're scared of who you are. You don't want to, you don't want the recruiter or the employer staring at your LinkedIn profile 10 minutes before you're supposed to be there. And then you walk in and you're like a completely different person. It yeah. almost, it almost sends a signal like you're not proud of who you are. And I don't, I don't, I don't recommend doing that either. But anyway, uh, I just yeah. recommend people keep it. Like you said, a nice professional photo, just like you would have if it was in the company brochure. That's it. You know, doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter what you look like, what race. None of that stuff matters. Just, just a nice professional photo, period. Yeah, and frankly, there's, I mean, there's plenty of places. And I got to tell you, I just did my professional photo, which is on my LinkedIn. And I look 10 years younger. I'm willing to pay for that anywhere. So, it, right. <laughs> a place that can they do that professionally it, and yeah, it doesn't make me look too different than I am in person no it looks good by the way I checked it right before the call you look good it looks good yeah <laughs> my wife liked it my kids thought hey dad you look cool so I <laughs> test you know very good very good well, I appreciate you answering all of those okay cool and yeah. then um how about this on, on not not your profile but your activity on LinkedIn do you give any recommendations for somebody that's in the market for a job, maybe they're not unemployed, but they want something different or they are unemployed. Either way, they're trying to get a, a new job. Mm -hmm. Do you recommend that they're active? Like, Hey, or, you know, be active, be, be responding, put out articles. What, okay. Well, I, I don't know about articles, but be active on LinkedIn, be contributing. Remember 
you know, it's, it's like back in the day, really before we had LinkedIn and people had answering machines, people had voicemail. I always coached them. Those are images for you. Whatever you're going to do and stay active, whether it's your voicemail, uh, your email, your activity on LinkedIn, you're, you must stay active, keep things updated and, and keep yes. things in there. If you're looking that, that reflect that you're up to date, you know, that you're commenting on things, that you're part of professional groups. The only thing on LinkedIn that I've ever cautioned people to leave out um, are things that are, are religiously affiliated uh, on their activities. Those things, because those, it's personal business, and it does leave you open to judgment, and, and I would say just remove those things. How about, how about political rants? Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and I'm, I can't say that I haven't engaged in a few on Facebook here and there with, with my friends, but you're never winning an argument or advancing yourself professionally. There you go. In shape or form by getting into an argument or a discussion. Um, and it's, it's like an email. You can't unring that bell. Once you put it out there, um, recruiters, everybody, anybody that wants to search and do your background. And by the way, and I'm sure you've seen this, for our executives, we do 15 and 20 year background screens that include social media commentary. Yep. Um, because there's nothing worse than <clears throat> all of a sudden you're in front of an IPO and somebody says, well, hey, what about your VP who was <laughs> on X? And you're like, looking like a deer in the headlights. So that stuff is all discoverable and it's just, it's best to just stay away from that. It really is. I couldn't agree more and I hope the listeners are really paying attention there. You know, I don't think, George and I aren't telling you what to do with your personal social media. What we are suggesting is, hey, if you're in the job market, and especially if you're an executive for a publicly ran company, mm -hmm. the bottom line is people are going to look you up on social media, period. I don't care whether they're supposed to or not. They're going to. So yeah. So whatever you put out there, somebody's going to see it. And the one thing on the politics that I just want to emphasize and add in, if you don't mind, one of the things I always tell people, I always say, hey, look, just remember, most of the time, all these political things are pretty much 50-50, even if it's 60-40. Whatever the thing is, whether it's you're arguing about a party or a topic or whatever, generally, you're splitting the country in half on almost every single thing. So knowing that, why would you go out of your way to alienate yourself against half the population? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And... and <laughs> You know, what scares me is people that do that don't understand that that's an indicator of how you're going to be able to or not be able to bring groups together. Because in the exactly. work, you have divergent opinions on a go forward on a strategy for whether it's engineering, whether it's sales or otherwise, you've got to be respectful of other people's views. Yeah, um, got, yep. What was it George Patton said? If we're all thinking alike, then nobody's thinking. Um <laughs> So Great point. it's a good indicator of you. So stay off of it. And, you know, if you look at the political topics of the day, they, they have a shelf life of what, 48, 72 hours. There's just a different version. So, you know, you're right. You're right. Turn that stuff off and get focused on the job. Totally agree. How about this on uh, communication through LinkedIn? I, I'm assuming, cause I know, I, I know how many times I get hit a day with some cold miscellaneous, non-personal yeah. LinkedIn message. I'm guessing you get just a few of those a day. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I get one of two types generally. First of all, and I have to screen the profiles because the majority of them in my role is head of TA or vendors wanting to do business with us. Okay. So, so you got to look, look at them. Yep. Yeah, I don't, I certainly don't begrudge them trying, but you know, in, in the staffing industry, there's just so many of them at any given time. Um, you know, if it catches my interest, I'll look at it. Then the other thing, which is amazing, and I don't know where this comes from because I never did it. Hey, George, there's a job advertised in Boston, Massachusetts for Force Point. Could you talk to me for about an hour about it? And, and just to be in full disclosure for your listeners, I'm the head of TA. I have 350 positions. I would have to look over and go, hey, Jody, we have something open in Boston for a systems engineer, you know. I don't keep tabs on the specific job and the specific location because I'm looking at the macro level. But people think that by contacting me directly that they're gonna get a foot in. 
Now, uh, yeah. given the size of our firm and, and the volume that I do, I'm always like, look, if, if you meet the qualifications, by all means, send your resume to me. I will put it in the right hands for the proper review. I'm, I'm always courteous that way. Don't you wish they would apply through the process, throw, though, instead of sending you a resume through LinkedIn? Uh, I do. I, I, and I also encourage that. I kind of have a standard blurb that I send back to people, which is, you know, thank you for your interest. It's a little bit more personal, but it does encourage them to apply. Um, and, but the other thing is I also put in there a lot of times a disclaimer that says, you know, because that position may be already closed internally. We may already be on the final round of candidates. I don't want anybody to think that by contacting me that, hey, you're gonna get contacted. It's just gonna be, if the position is still open and you've applied to it, I, I assure you, your credentials will be reviewed. That's exactly, that's exactly how I respond. Yep, I do the exact same thing. Yep, I just steer them right back to, hey, appreciate it, glad to be connected. Please apply through the process. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, the, and you may get an interesting resume and maybe we, we've got it in our talent pool. I, I don't know, but I certainly don't. Anybody that's interested in our company, I don't want to alienate uh, anyway. Um, and, and I know what it's like to look for a job. So even as the head of TA, as busy as my life is, and I just came back off of a three country tour, uh, I had a 40 hour flight uh, Saturday, Ooh. came back from India. Um, I still want to be courteous to those people yep. that are and respectful to those looking for a job, just like I hope they're going to be to myself and the recruiters in this firm. That's a great point. I do the same thing at Riderflex. We have a general, our rule basically at Riderflex is we ought, you're going to get a response of some kind. I tell the, yes. I tell my recruiters, I said, I, I better not ever get a phone call that somebody said they tried to respond to you and you didn't respond back to them in some way. Yeah, no, that's not yeah. good. Totally, totally agree. Okay, cool. Very good. Enough on LinkedIn. I'm going to hit you with this. Um, so interviewing. <laughs> That's my favorite topic. <laughs> yeah. You've done just a few interviews. Um, mm -hmm. co common mistakes during the interview and just maybe some general comments around it. Well, I, I hate to give the, the most basic one, but surprising, there are so many people these days that don't know what the hell's on their resume. Uh, <laughs> honest to God. Um, the first thing you ought to know, if you've put it on a resume, by all means, speak to it. Be able to speak to it. Um, uh, if you're going to put it down there and I'm going to review it, I, I'm hopeful that you can tell me the circumstances, the situation, the context, the result, the difficulties, challenges, et cetera, et cetera. That's number one. Uh, number two, um, you know, this is a little pet peeve of mine. I, I certainly want somebody to research the company but I don't want somebody coming in showing off the facts of what they know of what we're doing in the industry. I, I need the candidate to know what makes them great. I, the interview to me and my recruiters at this firm is, I want you to know everything about yourself and be able to articulate that. How did you, why did you do it? Why were you better than the person in the role before you? What made you different? What made you unique versus, hey, and telling me all the things about my firm. Uh, I'm not, I'm glad that you've done a little bit of research. I don't need you doing a ton of research. Please know yourself first and foremost and the roles that you've been in. Third, um, have good questions to ask that are about the defining the role and so that you can show how you're qualified for that role. Please do not ask what's in it for me questions. Do not ask me about personal time off. Do not ask me about sick days and benefits. I've been doing this, what, two decades? And I don't, other than one extreme circumstance, and I've got to give credit, one extreme circumstance out of, I think I counted up the people my teams have hired and I'm north of 85,000. So in that many people hired, I have never heard a circumstance where somebody said, you know what, I'm declining your offer, the benefits just aren't what I thought they would be. <laughs> Point. That's, that's never the reason. So don't be asking me who our healthcare provider is. Um, you know, I did have one gentleman whose wife had a pre-existing condition that was long-term. It was very relevant to him and more important than the compensation. He didn't care about the compensation. He cared about the company, the fit. Yeah, but, but then once he got to offer stage, he asked it at the appropriate time. And, and that was good. Um, the, the fact that they don't have questions sometimes, I, I'll just tell you as a recruiter myself, you know, yeah. if I, if I say, okay, Johnny, you know, what questions do you have? If your answer is you don't have any, 
you're not getting a job, period. <laughs> yeah, and I, I used to, and so when I was teaching veterans, and I don't know uh, analogy, I know I'm a little bit outside the box. Um, I kind of lined it up one time and it just came off the top of my head. I said, you know, it's like dating. Imagine if you went out on a date and at the end of dinner, you said, all right, thanks, I'm out of here, have a good one, and left. That there was no closing, there were no, no questions. Closing. Just, right. there, there was no next right. step. Hey, would you like to go out again? You just got up and walked away from the table. How would your date feel? <laughs> Is that the image you want to leave? <laughs> I was, I was really trying to, you know, you have to sometimes when you're dealing with the veterans because they, this is really a new space. So you do have to oh. down into very simplistic. So something that will anchor and dating was kind of the thing that I came up with at the moment, but the more I thought about it, it actually fits really well. It does. No, I like it. I like the metaphor. Um, how about, let's ask this. Um, some of the recruiters I talked to, and since we're both in the, in this line of work, yeah. you know, this whole artificial intelligence and robotics and all this stuff. And, you know, every time I pull up some HR news, I see something else about how robots are going to interview people and, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. What, what are your thoughts generally there? Um, so I'm, I, I'm certainly not a fan because, um, you know, it's the intangibles that are getting the fit right. And I still think that that's going to be in humans for a long, long time. I mean, I can post a job and you can do between the job matching and the resume, good recruiters, really good talent consultants. I don't even want to call them recruiters anymore. My recruiters are embedded in their business and they know the personality of that hiring manager. They exactly. know team construction. They know the missing hole that we're trying to fill. You could write volumes on a job description and still not get to everything that a computer would need to make the match. Exactly. So I, I really do think that good, we need more great talent consultants than we do more automation, to be honest. I couldn't agree more. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that. You know, at RiderFlex, we take that to, to the point to where a company will call us and say, hey, we want you to find a VP of sales or whatever, right? They're hiring yeah. us to fill a position we like our response is okay well they'll send us the job description like okay get started here's the job description we're like whoa 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 yeah i i need to visit your office i want to meet the leadership team yeah I, ho hopefully i can go to dinner with the ceo like i i gotta understand your culture your style yeah. the environment i gotta get all that in there to exactly be able to, put, to be able to put the right candidate in the mix and you know these so that leads me to my very next thing which is these 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 uh, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Probably going to get some, 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 some comments. Some of these contingency firms that just, because Rideflex is a retained, is a retained firm, right? Yeah. Some of these contingency firms that just, you know, they, they, they get a, they, they, they talk to a company and they just start slamming resumes in there for a, for a position. I, George, that just, that just drives me nuts. Like I, I, that, I, I get so wound up on that topic. I don't know what your thoughts are. Um, I get wound up when they do that or when they solicit my hiring managers that don't go through talent acquisition, that will get you barred from doing work with me. But I explained that to everybody. I said, I'm in charge of talent. We, so my going in viewpoint, because when I walked in, I had 150 vendors under contract when I walked in here for wow. a 3,000 person firm. I, and that's excluding the exec firms. And I had seven of those. And I was like, okay, wow. I've pared it down to about a handful. And, you know, what I shared with them is how I look at contingency firms. You're absolutely right. I hate when they're slamming resumes. There is a time and place for augmentation to your recruiting team. You know, some companies are not going to be able to carry the recruiting, in, the organic in-house yeah. recruiting, and there are going to be surges. Hey, you get a new product. You get a new space in the market. You, you boom where you didn't plan, mm -hmm. and you got to surge for that. That's what good – I would rather take contract recruiters and put them on my team and build them into my team and use them for an extended period of time to get past the search. Yeah. Or if there is a large scale, something that's absolutely enormous, which I did want at HP, but those have to be trusted partners. I mean, that partner's got to know my business. Exactly. So exactly. slamming resumes to me or, and the, that's what I get. The AI and the contingency firms are slamming me all the time. I've got this great candidate for this position. you posted. I'm like, you know, I, I use that as an example for my team. Some, some guy pings me and he says, hey, Steve, I noticed on your RiderFlex job board you have these openings you're working on. I have the perfect candidates for you. 
And I'm thinking to myself, you don't even know my client. Like, what do you, what do you know? You've got the perfect candidate. Like, what are you talking about? It is a very, <laughs> it is a very arrogant statement. And, um, you know, I have those firms all the time. And uh, one of the things doing with EF Overwatch is we're doing retained searches. And so when I'm talking to the clients, they're like, here's your job scripts. I'm like, wait a minute, let's talk through all of these things. And so, yes, when you're doing the retained search, uh, you know, companies tend to separate themselves out very, very quickly. Big time, big um, time. Um, big but they've got to be partners. They've got to be, and meaning I only go to contingency firm when there is an, an absolute business necessity to do so. Meaning, meaning I get the, we all get the purple squirrels, right? There's going to be one that it's going to take my two or three recruiters more time to fill yeah. that role. I may go out for that, maybe. If, if, if those contingency firms know you and the company and the style and all of that, right? Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. That's just, that's and just, they have very firm rules when they're working with me because when they get something, I actually don't even do contingency. I tend to do contain now, which is, yeah. look, just, I'm giving it to you. You're going to fill this. If you can't fill it, you need to tell me on day two. You know, that's this, great. That's good. Resumes, so. Contained. I like that. Contained. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that. Yeah. I'm going to tell my Scott, my sales guy, and go like, hey, we need to add that verbiage in there. That's a good one. Okay, I know we're almost out of time. You got yeah. a couple more? You got a couple more questions? All right. Almost... Okay, cool. So <laughs> we, talk, we talked a lot about what candidates can do better. How about just a little advice maybe for, for companies when they're dealing with agencies that, they're, uh, that they've hired for recruiting, what, what can companies generally do better for the agency? Um, what mistakes do you see there? Well, I, you know, I get a lot of hiring managers that are kind of the, the reason, you know, I don't know where the circle, the vicious circle started, but you get people slamming resumes because they're hiring managers who want to turn through resumes. Mm. And I had that when I walked in here and they're working with my recruiters and they're like, Hey, I, I just want to see more resumes. I'm like, okay, how many do you want to see? Is it 10 what? to 15? Uh, you know, and I play that over and over and over until they get the point that it's not the number, it's the fit. So hiring managers before you engage an agency, it's well beyond the job description. Who was in that role previously? Why did they fail? Why did they succeed? Where did they struggle? What new skill sets, what new competencies, what new experiences would you really like to have in there? That's number one. Number two, be very, very clear on your negotiables and non-negotiables. Bingo. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. It's, that, yeah, just make, tell me which ones you're not bending on. Just tell me which one of these bullet points you will not bend on. I need to know that right up front. Sorry. I, I exactly. Um, but, you know, it's interesting as I tell my in-house recruiters the very same thing. Because they have to operate with the same mindset, meaning a good right. portion of a great talent acquisition team is training your managers to give you the information in a way that you can clearly define the fit and all the things that are needed. So you're minimizing time and maybe it is, hey, two, three comparative resumes, we bring three people in. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're bringing in more than four people, something generally is off is my rule of thumb. That's good. That's, you're absolutely right. Our general mission, yeah, if you, you know, at RiderFlex, we'll, what we love to do, the perfect scenario is, is we, we'll go through a crap ton of people and we'll place, yes. we'll place, we'll place three finalists in front of you and go, here you go. All three of these people could do the job. Pick the one you want. That's yeah. generally what we try to do right there. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And um, a good firm, a good firm does that, right? A good, they're supposed to be saving you time. They're supposed to be putting finalists in front of you and you just, okay, cool. Let me, let me the other me thing the managers people. need to do when working with agencies is there's this, I don't know. I don't know what the effect is halo effect or this blind spot, which is, they think the company that they're at is the best company in the world. That every candidate is going to jump at the opportunity to take their offer. No. No. Both sides are interviewing one another. And both sides are selling one another at a certain point in that process. So the hiring manager has, when working with a retained uh, firm, is tell us, give us the sizzle. What is it that's going to help us close this candidate and excite this candidate? Because the majority of people we're talking to are not looking. That's right. That's it. So why are they going to pick up the phone 
they might just pick up the phone. Why are they going to stay on the line? Why are they going to come to an interview? And how am I going to get them to change? They've had six years of tenure and great work. They're an above average performer. Why are they giving all of that up to take a new chance? Mm, that's good. How I sell this. How do I sell you? How do I sell the company? That's good stuff. Yeah. For the, for the, for the companies out there listening. Yes. Teach the agency how to sell uh, why you should work there. And then, and then you highlighted a couple. I want to just emphasize be super clear on mandatory versus nice to have. That is a yeah. co very common mistake. And then the other one I would just throw in there is please just get everybody on the same page. If the hiring, the hiring manager, the HR yeah. person, the HR person and the CEO or whoever, just please like you guys got to be on the same page before, before the agency gets started or you're just going to make it messy. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> those are just some of our, you know, we go back to the AI part. That's the piece that it can't ever do is that there are too many um, variables in the human. That's right. That's, and that's the right. muscle memory that you develop in recruiting, you want to transfer as much of that to the hiring manager as you can. And that's where I think that humans will always be a part of this. And good recruiters get better and better and better at their craft. And um, the best ones are irreplaceable and they cost a lot and, and they're worth it, every bit of it. Um, thank you for bringing it back to the uh, AI piece because I got away from that. We went down a rabbit hole. But I, one of the things I wanted to emphasize there is I always tell my, my team, I say, look, when I can talk into my smartphone and it gets it right every single time and talks back to me, then I'll be worried. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, to, to AI's credit, I, I agree with you. And I think that there's some good AI for maybe your internal CRMs and ATMs. Yeah and stuff yeah. you know, that help you sort through, you know, talent pools and things. Keyword matches, things like that. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is, is that in essence, good talent acquisition consultants are problem solvers, are talent problem solvers for their clients. Love it. So be that a retained firm or you're an organic team, you're taking problem. Matter of fact, my ideal scenario is teaching my hiring managers. You know what? I just want you to show up ask the same questions across every candidate you see per manager and give me a thumbs up, give me a thumbs down, tell me why, let's dial in that fit and then go away. I will take care of the rest. Please don't negotiate the offer. Don't try to sell the candidate. You go do, go build your new product, go sell your new product, go do what it is we pay you to do. Great. We'll go do what I'm paid to do. Love that summary right there. Yes, love it. Okay, two final questions. Yeah. And this, this comes back to your life now. So you've had a great career. Really mm -hmm. awesome job. Congratulations on everything. Thank um, you. If you could call the 18-year-old before he signed up for the service, let's just say, well, let's say you, if you can call yourself when you were 17, what would you tell that, that young man today, knowing what you know now? Number one, fear nothing. Your abilities and your skills, don't, don't overworry, don't overthink. The, the skills that you continue to build will always make you successful. Uh, I think early on in my professional career, I worried about what the right next move was. And I want to dovetail that into giving credit to Tracy Keogh, who, is, who I just interviewed. Mike and I are writing a book uh, that's supposed to come out in June about this very thing about talent. But she is a CHRO of Hewlett-Packard and, and truly one of the most amazing people on the planet. And I wish I had the advice, and that's what I would share. What she said, your career is like a climbing wall. It's not a ladder. And if you go look at a climbing wall and you look at that journey of all the different things that you can do and experiences you can get, it, if I knew that, I probably would have expanded in other functional areas and explored different things that I was curious about versus the push to, to drive as hard as I did. Now, I was very successful at it. I wasn't going to give up. Don't want to take that away. But it would have been nice to know that, you know, your career is going to work itself out if you're driven and committed to excellence, you're humble, you're a team player, a team builder, and you take ownership and responsibility of what you do and try to get better every day. It will work out. That's good stuff. Last question. Last question is, if George had to put his core purpose into a sentence. And before you answer, I just want to push you, let's push that beyond family. So okay. beyond, 
beyond waking up every day and doing everything you can do to take care of your family, if you set family over here for a second, knowing that that's the priority, what is George's core purpose in life? That, that's a tough one. And, and, and you gave me the question ahead of time and I was still, I was still struggling, but it's an excellent question. Um, I think for me, it's making a concrete and lasting difference to all the people I serve, whether I'm in a leadership role or my clients. It, life, to include my family, it's just not about me. It's about the people that I'm around. It's about the ecosystem. It's about being in service to others. Did I make a difference? And if I did, I made somebody else breathe easier, walk easier, ease their life, get a job, whatever. Hey, then I made my mark. I'm good to go. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's great. I love it, George. Really um, inspiring stuff here. Thank you for all of the advice and the, the wisdom that you gave the listeners. We could probably talk for another five hours. Um, by the we way, can do it again. We, we, sh we probably should. By the way, do you ever go west out near uh, Marble Falls, uh, out west of Austin? You know the area I'm talking about? I do. I do, yeah. I don't know how familiar you are out there, but uh, there's a, another little town just west of Marble Falls called Kingsland. Little tiny town. Anyway, back in uh, 1999, there was a honky-tonk out there, and I met my wife two-stepping on a, on a dance floor out there. <laughs> That's the way to go. That's yeah. the way to go. Best memories. I Austin's a fun place. Hey, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast, sir. I appreciate it. We'll, uh, I'm going to hit stop on the recording real quick, but just hang on just for a sec before you hang up, okay? Sounds good. Thanks, George. The Rider Flex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.